Hello everybody. It is the end of my work week, so that means it's time for you to join me on the Homeward Path. This is the show that I record in my vehicle on the way home from work at the end of the work week. And my name is Adam. I'm a husband, father of three, work a full-time job, and listen, magic's tough. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money, and if you're like me and don't have a lot of either one of those things because other responsibilities come first, then you should probably stay tuned because I'm here to try to show you how I am seeking improvement at Magic under difficult time and financial constraints. But before we get started, I need to remind you that I'm a part of the Constructed Criticism Network of Shows. If you haven't checked out the other content on the network, it is fantastic, and you are doing yourself a disservice by not doing so. Uh, We bid a hopefully temporary farewell to the Arena Mythic cast, but Spencer returns, makes a glorious return to the flagship Constructed Criticism show. Uh, We've got Common Knowledge with Brad and Christian, and we've got... Sam Black, one of the icons, one of the legends of Magic the Gathering, with his insights unlimited. So we've got something for everybody. Out of the group, I'm probably the most casual, and I'm kind of trying to lay into that, embrace that, lean into it a little bit more. But check out the network, and don't forget to check out our sponsors, which I'll read off at the beginning of each segment. How's it going, everybody? Hope your week has been well. Mine has honestly been about as good a week as I've had in a while. Feels like we might finally be on the road to recovery with some things that have been going on personally. Uh, We did get dealt a blow this week, but let's go through before we talk about that at the end of the episode. Our first segment every week is Budget Spotlight. This segment's brought to you by our sponsorship from Pure MTGO and their sponsor at MTGO Traders. If you are in need of magic content on the web for Magic Online, for paper, for Vintage Cube, for Pauper, for I don't care what format you're looking for content for, you can probably find it on Pure MTGO. There's there's a creator for everybody on there, so go check it out. Uh, and if you, like me, play MTGO and regularly need new cards because you keep making poor decisions, uh, head over to MTGO Traders. They're the, the best ones to get your cards from. Because unlike the rental services, you never have to give them back and the prices are thoroughly reasonable. So, Budget Spotlight is a segment where I'm highlighting an uncommon, a rare, a mythic, and a card with a commander spin to it that I think don't get the love they deserve or either from the the standpoint of popularity or price tag. And this week with the, the focus being on proactive on uh, proactive spins, we're going to be looking at some threats in this segment. First on the list, fresh off the presses, it just pre-released last weekend. We have storm chaser, Drake. Storm Chaser Drake is one and a blue, two one flying. Whenever it becomes the target of a spell you control, draw a card. Or whenever you cast a spell that targets it, draw a card. 
And price tag on that right now in paper on CoolStuffInc.com is $0.25 cents and a penny on MTGO Traders. So there's not a whole lot being invested here. Let's find out what we're getting. Uh, this is one of, if not the, if, it's one of the, if not the absolute, greatest payoffs for the heroic mechanic ever. Full stop. Target my thing, draw a card is really powerful. Because inherently one of the problems with playing a bunch of stuff that targets your creature, whether it's in the form of auras, whether it's in the form of uh, like protection spells or fight spells or whatever you're doing with the thing, is inherently there's this sort of weird rub where you want it on the battlefield but you're wasting a bunch of resources and you're only getting value back out of it if your opponent's spending resources at the same clip you are and it's just sitting there on the battlefield still. So, like, if you're both expending resources but the battlefield state stays, stays the same, it feels like you're ahead in these heroic decks. And in this case, with Storm Chaser Drake, you actually get to pull ahead Every time they do that, because you both exchange cards, the battlefield state stays the same, but now I also draw another one. It's an absolutely welcome addition to the blue-white prowess deck in standard, or the, the blue-white magecraft deck, rather, in standard, where uh, Clever Lumomancer and Lu uh, Leon and Lightscribe do not care if you target them. They just want you to cast instants and sorceries. So turning... Uh, Homestead Courage into a cantrip on both ends is supremely powerful. But that's, you know, a spell you want to target with. But even going beyond sort of the gimmicky, classic, heroic decks, it also has some legs when you start looking at a deck like the old school Mono Blue Tempo. Because what did you want to do in that deck? You wanted to play Curious Obsession, which is a spell that targets a creature. And you wanted to play cards like Dive Down to protect your creature. Dive Down targets my creature, counters their removal spell, and now draws a card. And allows my Drake to block a 3-2 uh, flyer and live through it. Yeah, I can co-sign that. Especially for 25 cents in paper or a penny on Magic Online. We can do a whole heck of a lot worse than that. So moving on to our rare. This one's a little bit older in the form of uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt rather than Innistrad Crimson Bow. This card is another two-drop blue creature. You know how I love them. Two-drop evasive blue creatures. I have a thing. I have a brand. Uh, this creature is Suspicious Stowaway. One in a blue, one one, can't be blocked. When it deals combat damage to a player, uh, draw a card, then discard a card. And then it's uh, Werewolf, so Daybound, Nightbound. It's an Innistrad Midnight Hunt Werewolf, so whether it's day or night dictates which side it is, not whether or not you know you meet the conditions to transform it every turn. Just whether or not it's day or night, which admittedly is easier to track than each individual werewolf, but still, I like all things considered, I wish they would have one templating or the other. That's just a whole separate argument. Uh, price tag on Suspicious Stowaway 
on the fr- uh, sorry on the back half rather but I got ahead of myself. The front half is one one unblockable or can't be blocked. When it deals damage, loot. When it deals combat damage to a player, loot. Draw a card, discard a card. The back half is a green creature, 2-1, can't be blocked, and when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Just full card advantage, draw a card. No discard involved. So you're hitting for one extra point of damage while it's while it's dark outside, and just drawing cards instead of having to pick and choose which things you like and don't. The price tag on this thing is 50 cents in paper or 6 cents on Magic Online. This is the closest thing to a typical Tippo engine we have in Standard because it's fixing your hand early. It pays you off for playing counter spells in your deck because you don't want to cast anything on turn 3 in decks that want to play this anyway. You just want to attack with this, loot. I've got my three mana up for Saw It Coming, Wash Away, or uh, Dissolve, I believe it is. You know, and or some combination of protection spell for my creature, a cantrip, whatever, right? This thing's just like, hey, poke. What are you going to do about it? I hope it's not try to cast spells that target me because this is not going to end well, you know, and it's not going to kill you very quickly, but it's a, it's the kind of card that rewards you for exactly what it wants you to be doing, which is not casting spells on your turn and attacking. So from that standpoint, it is as close to a tempo engine as it gets looter on the front card draw on the back. It just fits the role. It fills the shoes of similar types of threats admirably. It's not quite Curious Obsession. It's not quite, you know, uh, oh, I'm trying to think. It's it's not a Dark Confidant. It's not a, a Glint Sleeve Siphoner, but it's very similar in the role it plays in your deck. It's an evasive beater that draws you cards, that fixes your hand, that utilizes the the mechanic of the set and helps you fix your hand. You know, it, it's not quite a Grim Flayer, but it's pretty close. So in that vein, I really, really like this card. And you can do a whole lot worse for 50 cents in paper or 6 cents in MTGO tickets. For our Mythic this week, this is one that should need no introduction to anybody that played Standard over the last two years. This card has a pedigree and used to have a price tag to match. This card is Robber of the Rich. Robber of the Rich is one and a red. 2-2 Human Archer Rogue, I believe. Uh, Had Haste and Reach, because why not give it Reach, right? Uh... Whenever it attacks, if you have less cards in hand than your opponent, you can exile the top card of their library. You can look at and cast and and cast that card if it's non-land. In any turn in which you've attacked with a rogue, and you can spend mana or any type in order to do so. So, 
little bit to unpack there. Uh, price tag wise, this is $4 in paper and 21 cents on Magic Online. So we are not even thinking about breaking the bank this week on anything crazy. We're keeping it nice and cheap. Spoilers, this is the most expensive card we're going to talk about in paper and the second most expensive card on Magic Online. A 2-mana two 2-2 two, two Haste is already a card that your mono-red deck wants. If you're playing like classic mono-red aggro, not mono-red prowess, where there's no incentive from a mechanical standpoint of, I want this other creature that can deal me more damage over the course of a long game, or that synergizes better. Like If synergy is not your, your focal point with your 2-mana threat, this is a card you want in your red deck. And even if it is, you could argue that there are going to be matchups where this is a card that you want in your red deck. Just because it allows you to curve out. You know, one drop, one, one, haste, attack, two drop, two, two, haste, attack for three. I've already gotten in for four. Three drop, three, three, haste, attack for uh, six. That's ten. You know... Pioneer and Modern are formats that feature Shocklands. Modern features Fetchlands. Both formats feature Thoughtseize. It is very possible that your opponent is dead on board with just that curve. Assuming that Robber does nothing else. But, oh, by the way, if you're on the play and your opponent's playing Taplands on turn one, this is going to just mooch a card. I'm going to mooch that. That's mine. That's mine now. Or I'm denying you lands. You know, it's either eating lands off the top of the deck and exiling them, or it's eating non-lands off the top of the deck for you to use. Either way, these are good things for you. But it also provides a catch-up mechanism if you're on the draw, because if you mulligan, you will still be a card behind your opponent. And this allows you to catch it back up. Like, it makes it easier to mulligan with your red decks, which feels weird to say. Because, like, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Just all the way around, it feels really, really, really good. It, it It's already a rate that you're comfortable playing in your re regular aggressive red deck if you're interested in ending the game as quickly as possible without messing around with a bunch of synergy. If you're just all about rate and speed... You want to treat everything like it's a burn spell. Two mana, two, two haste isn't bad. And then you tack on the ability to help dig you out of a hole, particularly if you're in a, if you're in a mulligan situation and it's a winner, $4 in paper, 21 cents in MTGO tickets. Come on. Last but not least, our commander of the week, if you will, this time it's actually going to be a card that you can use as a commander. And that card is Akiri Line Slinger. Not to be confused with Akiri Fearless Voyager from Zendikar Rising. This is Akiri Line Slinger from way, way back in one of the uh, commander pre-constructed decks. And I cannot remember which one it was. I think it was Brea. The Brea pre-constructed deck. But Akiri is a red and a white for a 0-3 legendary creature core... I don't remember what other creature type. So, 
And then she has plus one plus oh for each other artifact you control, and she has first strike. Or first strike vigilance. And then plus one plus oh for each artifact you control. So we're talking about a creature a, 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 we're talking about a cranial plating on a steak. Price tag right now is three dollars and fifty cents in paper. No, I'm not gonna make the joke this time. And a dollar seventy-seven on Magic Online. As a starting point to get into a commander format, you can do a whole lot worse than this. Especially if your goal is just to kill one person and then let whatever happens happen. Akiri's really good at that. You're an absurdly low mana value. It's two mana to cast her the first time. Four mana the second. Like, there are people who are out here paying six mana for commanders, and it's me. I'm people. Uh, so you can have cast yours two other times and gotten hits in with it before they get to cast theirs. That's a big deal. Absurdly low mana value. You have synergy with the most played permanent type in commander, other than land. Artifact. You just, like, if you play a bunch of mana rocks alongside a carry, if you've got five mana rocks on the battlefield, guess what? She's a 5-3. Put a Lightning Greaves on the battlefield, now she's a 6-3 with Shroud and Haste. Four hits will kill somebody. Chip in a double strike, you know, chip in a double each creature's power you control. Chip in a Furnace of Wrath. Deal double damage. Two hits. And it's a callback to an absolute icon of the history of magic in the form of cranial plating because she just comes with her own cranial plating attached. You don't have to do any of the work. You just have to play the artifacts. And if that gets me interested, right? But then you also throw in the fact that she's got partner. By the way, she's got partner. That allows you to splash. You can Akiri plus Bruce Tarl in stay in red white and go full on equip Voltron and like Bruce Tarl gives her double strike and lifelink. That's a big deal. You can Akiri plus uh, Ishai and get access to blue. And Ishai gets bigger every time your opponents cast non-creature spells. So you've got two different creatures that are getting bigger based on actions that everybody is largely going to take. You know, Akiri, you want to play artifacts in your commander deck anyway. And because everybody plays all these artifacts, Ishai can get really big. The fact that you can do so many different things around what Akiri gives you access to, that gets me invested in this card. What she does on her own is enough to get me interested. What she does in conjunction with some of the other partners she gets access to gets me invested in what she does. So for $350 as a starting point in paper, $1.77 on Magic Online, you can do a whole heck of a lot worse than a Kiri line slinger. So with that out of the way, 
that's all we have for budget spotlight. Remember, go check out the sponsor, puremtgo.com, MTGO Traders. Moving on to Brew of the Week. And this segment is in need of a sponsor. If anybody knows anybody, we can talk. Uh, Brew of the Week is where I'm spotlighting a deck that I feel like has some potential, is interesting, is cool, is funny. And uh, that's definitely where this one falls, is cool and kind of funny. Uh, this week's deck is Quandrix Tempo in Standard. Now, specifically, I'm not using the Ravnica Guild identity, because if I told you it was Simic Tempo, you would think it was broken. But when I say it's Quandrix Tempo, you're like, oh, that's cute. It maybe does a thing. And you would be right. Uh, the deck in question is very much a budget brew. It is... A deck you build so that you can get your daily quests done for casting blue and green spells relatively quickly. And you might you might cheese your way through a game or two on the way. Like, it's fun to play, even if it's not very good. What you're doing is you're wanting to use efficient sort of engine cards in conjunction with cheap instants and sorceries. I, I, I can't help it. I have a problem, okay? It is a legitimate issue, and I am working through it. Uh, in this case, you're using cards like our aforementioned Storm Chaser Drake or Suspicious Stowaway. Stowaway allowing you to dig through your deck and find more cards and allowing you to kind of occupy a pseudo-tempo role. Uh, Storm Chaser Drake similarly allowing you to combo with cards like Snakeskin Veil, like you saw a guard approaching like fading hope on itself in response to an opponent's removal spell to draw a card and or to scry or to draw a card and then get to fix your next draw while protecting your creature from removal spell in addition you're also using dragon scale guard or dragon's bane guard i can't remember the card's name for sure uh and you're banking on protecting them so that they can try to overwhelm your opponent gradually as the game goes on. You seek a proactive stance in the sense that you want to get on the board first, but once you get on the board, you just want to keep your opponent back. Classic sort of weird mopey tempo deck, right? From a customization standpoint, are you a Delver deck or no? That's question number one. Right now, I don't think I am. I think I would rather have access to just Barra Sentinel than Delver, and I don't think there's a lot of room for more creatures in this deck. I could be wrong. But the allure of opening Jaspera Sentinel into one of those two drops, plus the ability to cast a protection spell for it, is really enticing. Are we a gimmick deck, or are we a straight-laced, sort of traditional tempo deck? And what I mean by that is, right now I'm playing the deck more like a gimmick deck, where we're playing a whole bunch of fight spells. Uh, what is the cards? Blizzard Brawl, uh, Decisive Denial, uh, oh, what is Inscription of Abundance, and... Uh, rabid bite in conjunction with these creatures is well, I mean, less so in conjunction with stowaway, but solid in conjunction with storm chaser or the dragon scale guard because of the fact that they get like the, the storm chaser draws a card before it fights 
The Dragon Scale Guard gets bigger before it fights. It just seems kind of cool, right? But maybe we're trying too hard, and it would be better to just play the Protection Suite and more counter spells. I don't know. We're trying the gimmicky stuff, and it's fun, it's cute, and sometimes we just roll over an aggro deck because of it. But honestly, I'm probably trying too hard with that. But under that same umbrella, how are we removing opposing threats? Like, how are we getting the other things off the battlefield? And that's why I started playing all these fight spells, but I think it's probably going to be better off if we just go to a more traditional down, sort of finesse, bounce stuff, counter stuff on the way back down tempo game plan. Uh, how do we stop the opponents from going over the top of us? Again, similar approach. For the most part, when you think about a tempo deck, you think about exactly that. You're looking to keep them from going over the top of you while you kind of gradually kill them, but death by a million paper cuts. And this is not going to be any different. Strengths and weaknesses against decks with bloated curves and light removal suites, you will absolutely frustrate them to death. Or decks that are way too many small creatures, if you're playing the one with the, the extra fight spells in it, uh, a deck that's got too many small creatures and Dragon Scale Guard can eat them alive. Uh, Blizzard Brawl and Decisive Denial can eat them alive. Because you just keep killing their creatures and they never get to overwhelm you. I don't know. What do you want me to say? If the opponent's not interested in killing your creatures or plays disruption alongside theirs, i.e., I cannot tell you how many times in the last four or five days I have gotten absolutely housed by main deck test of talents out of people because of the Epiphany decks right now. Like, I tried a Fading Hope my creature in response to my opponent's board wipe and they've left up test of talents. And now I can't get their creature off the battlefield either. <laughs> That's not great for us. <laughs> this is very much a brew and not something I'm looking at from this through the lens of like this thing's the best could be the best deck in the format. No, it's fun. It's exciting. It's different. And it doesn't use a lot of wild cards. And that's why I wanted to play it. Uh, from an outlook perspective, if we ever get back to a place where it's not super fast decks trying to kill the Epiphany decks before the Epiphany decks go off and the Epiphany decks. In other words, if we ever get to a place where a non-Epiphany reactive deck is viable, we might be able to make this deck work. Because once we get back to sort of the traditional aggro mid-range control sort of Lazy Susan, throw darts at a three-piece board hierarchy of which deck is the best. And there's a lot of jockeying for position in that mid-range area. That's where a deck like this can sneak in and steal a bunch of wins from people because they spend all this effort trying to go over the top of each other. And we just get under them. Because we get on the board for cheap and we just keep their big things from killing us. I can dig it. As it stands right now, this deck is too dependent on what feels like gimmicky mechanics 
And perhaps most importantly, none of your cards feel powerful by themselves. And that is inherently one of the biggest flaws in the deck design is when you're comparing it to blue red epiphany or uh, blue red dragons, Goldspan dragons, a great magic card. Expressive iteration is a great magic card. Uh, Burn down the house is a great magic card. Auron's epiphany is a cracked in half magic card. Uh, Tidebreaker horror. Great magic card. What's our one, what's our standalone great magic card? We don't really have all that many. We we we've got some some things that do some stuff. But with that being said, I still think it's it's worth kind of playing around with. It's a good way to sort of learn how those decks operate from the position of this is what it looks like when they don't have everything they need and it's still got a little bit of play, right? So if it ever gets what it needs, it's going to feel a whole lot stronger. So moving on, let's get into our main topic. Our main topic this week is part two of the player draw series. We're looking at it through the lens of the proactive deck. So a little refresher from last week. You may remember we talked about like when you're on the play, the general resource you're wanting to leverage as the person on the play is tempo, while as the person on the draw, you are looking to leverage card advantage and inevitability. But as the proactive deck, this changes a little bit because first and foremost in any game, whether you're first or second, you want to leverage tempo because part of the reason you're doing what you're doing is because you want to get under people. You want to kill them dead with a bunch of cards in their hand. There's no substitute for the card advantage of your opponent being dead with six cards in their hand that they get, they never got to cast. You want your opponents to spend the early turns of the game interacting with you instead of developing their board. You want them to have to waste all of their early game worried about what you're doing and not being able to snowball on you. You seek mana advantages along that main along that line of thought because you want you want to cast more spells. The whole point behind playing a deck with a bunch of cheap spells in it is you want to be able to just unload and make your opponent do something about it. And you can't do that if your spells cost too much mana. You want efficient forms of removal to remove blockers and keep your opponents from going over the top of you. You want, you know, one and two mana removal spells that will clear out basically anything they could play in those ranges of mana and in your two mana, sometimes three mana removal spells. You want the ability to punch way up and take out like four and five drops to close the door on your opponent. And then you want access to ways to protect or recover from the opposing interaction. And this is not just a, I'm not going to say a, a tempo deck thing, but it's, you, you want not just like counter spells or, you know, you saw guard approachings or snakeskin veils, but also cards like, Ram through in your mono green decks or primal might or 
burn spells in your red decks that go upstairs because these are ways to win the game even when your opponent blunts the creature assault, right? So those are the resources you're leveraging. That's your overall sort of itemized list of weaponry at your disposal as the proactive deck. So let's talk scenario one. Scenario one is proactive versus proactive. On the play, you're looking to maximize your damage output and minimize the opponent's opportunity to steal mana advantages. You know that they are playing from behind and they are going to be looking to try to use one of your turns to, you know, shock your two drop, untap, cast theirs and catch up a little bit. Yeah, or play with fire if we're talking about right now. You know, they want to snipe your two drop, untap, cast theirs. Kill your three drop on turn two, untap and cast theirs. You know, they want to be the first one to land their powerful cards uncontested. And you just want to kill them before they can do that. Essentially, you want to be the first one to start double spelling. You want to make your opponent keep spending cards from their hand to interact. Because if they're spending mana removing threats, that means they aren't playing threats. So they just keep staying behind, and you eventually land a threat of your own that takes over. Every removal spell they, they throw at one of your small creatures is a burn spell that doesn't go upstairs when the game is tight later. You are comfortable trading down on your opponent's creatures, you know, trading a two-mana burn spell for a one-mana blocker, if it means you get to shorten the game by a turn. On the draw, you want to maximize your mana efficiency so you don't mind taking a few hits from a one drop to keep their two, three, or four from dominating you. You are leaning really hard on your powerful curve-topping cards, your four and five mana cards, to bail you out once you start flooding out. Once you both start flooding out, you get paid off for doing so by just having big dumb things in your deck because you can cast them. And as long as you are at a healthy enough life total and the board is relatively similar, you know, there's not good attacks either way. Your big dumb thing can take over the game from there. And that's technically true in either position, but it's generally speaking, the out that you play to more is the person on the draw. When you're sideboarding and you know you're going to be on the play, going into additional threats, particularly at two and three mana, is beneficial. It's a way to use mana as the game goes longer, but you keep up pressure. You don't want to go really big with them because them going bigger means they're going to be, you know, if the opponent's not killing you quickly and they're trying to transition into a control deck, when we're sideboarding, they know they're on the draw, you know you're going to be on the play. It can be really beneficial to stay relatively lean, obviously keep their catch-up mechanisms in mind. But you don't want to, to lose the advantage you have of being on the play. 
If you're sideboarding on the draw, you want more efficient interaction for the opponent's bigger threats, along with some manner of a catch-up mechanism. It can be in the form of a two-for-one removal spell, uh, a way to catch up on mana, or even just an additional top-end threat that is difficult to interact with. Also, don't underestimate, and this is something I have kind of preached forever, don't underestimate the power of a landing or sideboard. That's not, you know... I'm not saying play ingenious inspiration to go get environmental sciences in your red deck mirror, but like playing your 25th land in the sideboard when you're planning to bring in your fourth chariot and another five drop after sideboarding, not a bad idea. And understand that a good number of games from either position, whether you're on the play or on the draw, pre-sideboard, post-sideboard, are going to degenerate into a race. And that's okay. You learn to recognize when it's happening and adjust accordingly playing, you know, recognize the kind of game you're having. Sometimes you're going to stick to your rigid roles. You're the, you're the aggressor. They're the defender. They're the defender. You're the aggressor. You trade your blows. You get to that awkward point in the mid-game where both of your hands are basically empty and you're both knocking the top of your deck open. Something good comes off of it. And like the first person to get a couple of two-for-ones usually wins that game. But then you have the alternative where you start off on the uh, you start off with your foot on the gas. Your opponent starts off with their foot on the gas and you just start swinging at each other and you might win that game by two points of damage because you played with fire their, uh, you know, you play with fire their, uh, pack leader after an awkward block. What looked like an awkward block or you blizzard brawled their creature and then attacked, and it kind of gave you that sort of tempo advantage that you maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It gives you that that leverage to really push through in that race where otherwise you're just kind of throwing punches at each other back and forth. I attack you for four, you attack me for four. I attack you for six, you attack me for six. I attack you for six again, I leave up a removal spell, kill your creature, untap, attack you for six, you're dead. That's the game. Yeah. These are games that happen regularly between two proactive decks. Scenario two is your proactive deck versus your reactive deck. On the play, as the proactive deck, you want to stick the smallest number of threats possible that your opponent cares about. You want to stick a small number of threats without overextending into their catch-up mechanisms. You do not cast spells or play lands before combat unless they're relevant to the damage output of the turn. And if possible, you want to lean on snowballing engines like Usher of the Fallen, Werewolf Pack Leader... Uh, reckless storm seeker that functionally gives all your creatures haste, so on and so forth. Uh, Tovalar, whatever, right? These creatures that are applying pressure to your opponent either in more than one way or that are applying so much pressure with just a couple of things going that your opponent has to deal with them 
now, or they risk falling so far behind that they can't catch up. On the draw, you want to force them to interact with your cheaper threats because, again, while you technically are behind the eight ball, their reactive deck, they are less interested in the early game, at least, in trying to keep pace with you on the ground and more so in trying to develop their mana, you know, hit their land drops, draw some cards, counter a spell, interact with a creature. You want them to do these things to your cheap creatures so that you can use your more powerful ones to start applying pressure. The more powerful threats are going to make up ground faster. Old Growth Troll hits a whole lot harder than just Parasentinel. Every Infernal Grasp that hits a Werewolf Pack Leader, Reckless Storm Seeker, or uh, Intrepid Adversary is one less copy they have for... Eskis Chariot, or Renin Seven, or Goldspan Dragon, or uh, you know Giants, or whatever you're playing, right? Also, I mean, similar to being on the play, don't play into their counter spells. Attack first. Make them interact before you play into open mana. And if they don't interact. Don't jam it in there if you don't have to. If they're under pressure, they have to do something before you do. So if you've got the initiative, just keep it. Hold something back for when they finally do start to interact. Force the action by attacking and be satisfied if they're just not doing anything. And in sideboarding, you still largely keep those same roles. You know, recognize that your opponent is going to be boarding into cheaper interaction. They are going to be trying to, you know, they'll be playing cards like Path of Peril. They'll be playing cards like Crush the Weak. So boarding into a couple of bigger uh, two drops, you know, three toughness is magical and uh, three mana value is magical, so on and so forth. But overall, your general premise is just keep applying pressure. Make them interact with as few things as possible, and you get to a point where everything you play becomes something they have to interact with. Overall tips in keeping with episode 129, where keeping it simple is a really important thing, it's best to keep things simple from a gameplay perspective and sideboarding. If your plan for a given matchup involves going far away from what your deck does, it's probably a good time to reevaluate that plan because it's not going to be very good. You know, if your plan for how you're going to beat a control deck with your blue white magecraft deck is to board into uh, a bunch of counter spells and and you're already playing Delver, don't do that. Just don't do that. You are better served to play stuff like you saw a guard approaching, like Valorous Stance after sideboard, to just protect some piece of your board state so that you can keep pressure on than you are trying to change what your deck does in order to try to get them out of nowhere. Know when to cut your losses. 
especially as the proactive mage. Some matchups just feel borderline unwinnable. You know, if your opponent's deck is full of two-for-ones, it can be very frustrating. You know, the mono-black, eye-twitch, shambling gas, deadly dispute, blood-on-the-snow piles can be really frustrating to play against from the aggro perspective. So it's really important to, one, have a plan for that matchup, yes. But if it's not a matchup that you can reasonably win... There's not a whole lot of value to be gained from trying to fight your way through it. Know when to scoop to conceal information. That's really important. In game one, if you know your opponent's ahead, you know you are really, really unlikely to get a benefit out of, you know, you are really unlikely to win this game. But you play a version of the deck that's different than what most of the, you know, you've got your spicy technology in there that your opponents don't know about. Or your sideboard plan drastically improves the matchup and you don't want to, you don't want them to see the rest of your cards before you sideboard. Just scoop it up early. Don't waste time in your life trying desperately to win a match to save your bruised ego. Bad matchups happen. Scoop it up. Go on to the next game. And based on the fact that they have incomplete information while you have potentially closer to complete information, you might be able to win that thing. Now, proactive decks tend to not be great at mulligans. And that is in large part because you don't have a lot of card advantage in your decks to catch you back up when you mulligan. It's just important to understand that. Like, if you have to mulligan too low in your aggro deck, you are going to have problems. There's just not enough individually powerful cards you can draw that will bail you out. And if you got a mull to four to get a playable hand, it might be worth your time to just scoop it up and go on to the next one. And last but not least, don't get too bogged down in the grind games and lose sight of why you wanted this style of deck in the first place. And this is a really big one when we start talking about decks like Boros, like Mono Green, like uh, the aforementioned Tempo deck that I'm probably trying way too hard with. I mean, we wanted these decks because they get under people. But when we start jamming in multiple copies of cards like Showdown of the Scalds, Goldspan Dragon, we start looking at some six drops kind of funny, right? That's not good for what you wanted. That's not what you wanted in this deck. You know, Showdown of the Scalds is a good magic card, but it is not a it it is not the kind of card you want to play if you're also interested in playing four mana planeswalkers and goldspan dragon. You want a different kind of deck for Showdown of the Scalds than you do for that. So I think it's really important to keep a keen eye on what you're specifically trying to do when we're talking about playing proactively. You know, make sure you your deck has a clearly defined reason for why it plays the curves that it does. If there's a synergy there to take advantage of, make sure you're doing it. But understand that 
you've got to you, you've got to play your way through your matchups correctly. Opponents' cards by design, by the way the decks are built, on balance, if you're playing against a mid-range deck, their cards are going to be better than yours. If you're playing against a control deck, once you get past a certain mana value threshold, their cards are going to be better than yours. So it's important to understand that and attack that schematically to either prevent them from getting to those cards or just kill them right after they do. And that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. You got questions, you got comments, you got concerns, you can send them to me on Facebook. Uh, you can send them in the Facebook group Homeward Pathfinders. You can send them to me on Twitter at Homeward Path MTG. Uh, if you like this show enough to help us keep doing it, if you like what we're doing, you want to help us make it better, patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. The show's always going to be free, but if you like us enough to help us keep doing it, head over there, become a patron, take advantage of your rewards. One of those rewards is the Patron Pathfinders Discord, where we're talking about episode topics. I share deck lists there regularly-ish. I still have this sort of weird anxiety about sharing deck lists, which is the only reason I don't just spam every deck that I build into the patron, the Patreon Discord, because it feels like I'm shortchanging somebody if I put something out that's still in the concept stage. I just, I need to trust y'all more. I'm not going to lie. I need to just start dumping everything in there and we can tune it together. That seems like a fun time. Uh, one of the other perks to that is periodically myself or my partner will stream in the voice chat on the patron pathfinders discord. And you can join that fun as either I am trying to work my way to mythic or Amaris is trying to work their way through making some sense of what in the heck's going on in standard because they have not played standard in a very long time beyond arena games. Ah. Uh, but as it stands right now, uh, from what we where we ended last week's episode, full disclosure, the antidepressants seem to be working really well. Uh, so from a mental health perspective, in that regard specifically, I do feel quite a bit better. Uh, I'm not going to pretend I'm you know the happiest person on earth or anything, but I definitely feel like my mood is more even than it has been in a while. But we also, we we got some really bad news over the weekend, too. Uh, my mother is going to have to be going in for a bypass surgery. So, you know, if any of you are religious or spiritual or whatever, if you think there is something you can do that would be beneficial to helping make sure my mother gets through this, I would appreciate that effort, you know. Whether I whether I believe in it or not is irrelevant. It's whether or not you do. So you got good vibes, you got thoughts and prayers, you got you know whatever you want to send my way to try to help my mother through this. I, it's it's all greatly appreciated. So, uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. This is my favorite thing I get to do each week. So with that. Take care. Remember, everybody's going through stuff. I just kind of 
related what I'm going through right now. So when you're dealing with the with other people, please try to lead with kindness. Always try to be nice. Never fail to be kind. So laugh hard. Attack first. But be kind. And we'll catch you next week.